0: Now this time, can we turn together to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 28? We are thinking about what Jesus says about discipleship from verse 16 to the end, but we'll read the whole chapter, reminding ourselves that these words take place after the cross and after the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. So after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I wonder when you hear the word disciple or discipleship, uh, what thoughts uh, come to mind. As you're thinking about that, let me share just for a moment the most stressful and discouraging job I ever had. Without going into the details, it was a job where I was given no training. I just told, get on with it and do it. Maybe you've had that experience. I knew that I had projects, but I was given no timetable. And then all of a sudden I would get a phone call saying I need it by the end of the day. Uh, given no tools or support uh, and expected uh, to carry out the work. Discouraging, demotivating, stressful, and short-lived. Um, many people perhaps view discipleship in that same way, or living as a disciple in that same way. We're not sure perhaps what we're speaking of when we speak about the life of a disciple. We're not sure how to go about living for Jesus, or uh, for helping others to grow as disciples. And we can find, uh, because in churches we talk about it, because it's there in the Bible, we can become demotivated. Perhaps we can feel guilty about it. uh, And if we don't get it, we find that we are missing something that Jesus says is crucial to our purpose as his followers. So today I hope that as we spend time in this crucial passage It will bring some clarity to us uh, so that we have that sense of purpose as a church and as God's people. Perhaps when it comes to this text, often known as the Great Commission, we have another barrier, another hurdle to jump. Last week we were in Mission Sunday, and one of the things that that happens sometimes is this text can be used... um, for mission purposes, and so we can excuse ourselves and think, well, we're not the people going to the other side of the world, therefore this has nothing to do with me. Or we can think, this is a a truth for some spiritual elite, and that's not me, therefore I I can switch off. And today, again, our aim is to show uh, that in the wisdom and plan of God, being a disciple who makes disciples, it is to be a reality for every single Christian, whoever we are, however we're gifted. And I want to encourage us as well, because as we begin to think about the sort of nuts and bolts of discipleship, there's going to be ways, I am sure, that we are already doing it and perhaps we don't realize. And I hope that as we think practically about thoughts on how to progress, that we can be encouraged rather than demotivated. But we do need to see the priority of discipleship. Jesus assumes that from the beginning, those who follow him will have that task of helping Uh, make other disciples, and helping others to grow uh, as followers of Jesus. This is the call to his church, that whole churches and individual church members would be helping others towards uh, that goal described by Paul in uh, Colossians 1 of spiritual maturity, being mature in Christ. We also need to, before we get into this, we need to be aware that as churches... We're swimming against the tide of culture. Because the message that we hear in, in in our culture, and we receive it sometimes without even thinking about it, is is to be an individual. And to think about self-fulfillment. Uh, to come to any organisation, to come to any truth, and think, what's in it for me? Whereas Jesus calls us to himself, and he connects us to one another, and he says we need commitment to others first. And so in a very real sense, this goes against the grain of culture, uh, certainly here in the West. And we need to be aware of that, and we'll think about that again. Three simple questions to help us in our text. One, what is a disciple? Uh, Two, what is discipleship? Three, what does discipleship look like? The first is very brief. What is a disciple? A couple of years ago, as elders here, we looked at a book called The Vine Project, and there's a helpful Uh, definition of a disciple, and it's up there on our screen. A disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ or following Christ in repentance and faith. And when we think about those first disciples, the ones who spent time with Jesus, that was the pattern. They were learners and Jesus was their teacher. And this wasn't just a classroom thing. They followed Jesus uh, learning his words, learning his wisdom, learning from his way of life. That was common in Jesus' day. Um, so it's much more than than teacher-pupil as we have it in our school system now. Perhaps we could think uh, helpfully of a, a mentor and an apprentice, uh, perhaps uh, on a building site, perhaps. Uh, someone with with skill and knowledge to impart, helping uh, someone younger uh, to know what are the tools and how do I use them. In 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 the context of a church, uh, here's the Bible, uh, here's how to read it helpfully in order to see more of Jesus. Here's what obedience looks like uh, in day-to-day life. The pattern of the first disciples, we read it in the Gospels, they heard Jesus announce The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So they understand that Jesus is God's king. They understand they are called to to turn from their old way, to turn from sin, to trust in Jesus, to believe in him. They also had that individual call, come, follow me. It's a personal call from the Lord Jesus into a new relationship. That's what every disciple receives, whether that's 1st century or 21st century. And what we see from the first disciples is that they left their old way of life, quite literally, some of them leaving their fishing boats in order to follow Jesus, three years with him, watching, learning, asking questions, seeing how he lived, hearing how he taught, watching his powerful works, understanding this is the Christ, the Son of God. And now they're being taught, you're a disciple and your purpose is to make other disciples. So a disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. And we want to share that so that others might become disciples also. And that takes us to where we'll spend most of our time. What is discipleship? It's one of those words, perhaps, if you, you read Christian books, you've you'll read it, perhaps you've heard it in sermons or in talks. So I think about what that looks like, what that means. Um, in preparing for this, I came across three different descriptions, each of which is helpful, I think, in different ways. Uh, again, to go back to that book, The Vine Project, uh, the image was uh, of uh, disciples helping others to take steps closer to Jesus helping others to make steps closer to Jesus. So that could be us encouraging someone who's already a Christian uh, by sharing what we've been learning so that someone else gets to learn that too. So they're taking that step closer to Jesus, growing in love and knowledge and faith. It could also be uh, sharing with someone who's not yet a Christian and perhaps we'll be the means of, of breaking down some of those barriers of resistance or perhaps helping someone to make that giant leap from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So, So we're helping others make a a step closer to Jesus. Uh, Mark Dever, who's a a, a pastor in Washington, D.C., he talks about uh, discipleship in the context of eternity, uh, preparing people for eternity in the day of judgment. And he speaks of his, especially his personal discipleship, where he's, not just when he's preaching, but when he's sharing with people, he speaks about leaving time bombs of grace. Because it's God's grace that grips our hearts, that that prioritizes eternity. And so that's how he thinks of discipleship. Let me think about how I can share God's grace with someone today, in time, for the sake of eternity. Because that's the end goal of discipleship. We want one another to be ready to meet Jesus and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what life is about, ultimately. Uh, And then there's a guy from the north of England, a guy called Lewis Allen. He speaks about discipleship as being an invitation into the joy of Jesus. Uh, And I love that because that involves us coming to experience joy uh, as we worship, as we spend time in in God's Word and prayer, and then we're inviting others to that same joy. And again, that could be a Christian, could be a non-Christian. What's in common with all those those different uh, descriptions is that Jesus is the center. A disciple of Jesus is then looking out to other people to think, how can I point them to Jesus too? That they can have what I have. That's the pattern for churches. Churches built on Jesus. We should be looking outwards to serve others, to point them in to Jesus as hope and life and salvation. It's a pattern for every Christian as well. Now, how do we see some of this in Matthew 28? I want us to think, first of all, about the idea of authority. That that being a disciple and discipleship is about submitting to Jesus as Lord. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can see this, first of all, in verse 16, where we discover the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So we've just heard about chief priests who are busy spinning a lie uh, that Jesus didn't really rise, that his body was stolen. But the disciples are not going to play that game. They are going to be obedient to Jesus. So they go to the mountain. Further, thinking about the authority of Jesus, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Jesus is not just a guru or a great teacher He is their Lord and their God. A disciple is one who acknowledges Jesus is my Lord and my God. And then listen to Jesus' words. Verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in the universe given by the Father to the Son." And the disciples recognize the authority of this crucified and risen Lord who has now been called King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God's chosen king. He is the one who reveals God's glory. Remember, these disciples have witnessed some remarkable things. They have witnessed their Lord and their Savior go to the cross for them they have seen the darkness fall. They have seen Jesus go under the the thunderstorm of the Father's righteous anger against sin, not for Jesus' sin, but for your sin and mine. They have seen Jesus willingly give his life as a sacrifice, as a substitute, and now they've seen Jesus rise in power and victory. Now they understand Jesus is God's universal king, declared by God as such through the resurrection. And so disciples know that Jesus is Lord. And we call others to that same recognition. Connected to that, verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. See, Jesus is universal Lord, therefore the church has a universal mission. uh, To announce to the world, Jesus is Lord and that he is Savior. Last week we were thinking about that reality in Colombia and and India and Vietnam and, and Thailand and Galatians and Edinburgh. Whatever the church is, whatever Christians are, we both believe and we teach... Jesus is Lord, and as such, he is the only way to God. Perhaps this is a time to to pause and to ask our response. For those of us who are Christians, are are we living and praying that others might submit to Jesus as Lord? If you're not a Christian here today, ask God to reveal to you the reality of who Jesus is. Explore the evidence. Uh, that you might see Jesus as Lord. Moving from the idea of authority to the idea of command, which is where Jesus goes in verse 19, Uh, this command that we have there uh, reminds us that disciples help others to learn Christ. 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded commanded you. Here is the marching orders of God's church. This is our reason for existing. That we would make disciples. That we would invite and call people into this new relationship with Jesus. Where he is teacher and Lord and master and king that lives are lived to give glory to him rather than seek glory ourselves. And to the church, Jesus has given uh, two crucial things as we seek to make disciples. One is the sign of baptism, a gift to the church. Again, if you were here last week, uh, one of the videos we watched uh, was from uh, a pastor in India, Matthew. Uh, Last week they were baptizing new believers in the Lord Jesus. And and he spoke about them uh, doing that uh, to show that they now had a new walk and a new way of life. That's a really helpful way for us to think about what baptism represents for the church. Baptism uh, for a disciple is a sign of entrance into the kingdom. It's a way of saying, I want to publicly identify, to show my loyalty to Jesus as Lord and King. It is also a sign of repentance, of leaving an old way of life behind, of turning uh, away from sin uh, to follow God through faith in Jesus. Uh, So baptism is that very rich uh, sign and symbol. But then we're also uh, told that disciples uh, teach others to obey everything I have commanded you. So in making disciples, we are speaking God's word into the lives of others. So we speak the good news of the gospel to one another and and to our world. That the God who made us in love and grace sent his son uh, to live a perfect life of obedience for us in our place, because we cannot and we have not. And that same uh, Lord Jesus then died for us, paying the price and penalty for our sin, and then he rose for us, and he is glorified for us. He reigns as king in heaven, and he is returning one day to judge the living and the dead and to take his people to be with him forever. Jesus has come to save us, to adopt us, if we would have faith in him. And so the church brings that good news along with that call from Jesus to repent and to believe. And so as we teach, we must teach the gospel, we must teach the good news. But we also, in our text here, we teach everything that Jesus has commanded. And that's really interesting, isn't it, that Jesus focused on his commands. We saw this three weeks ago now. Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill. So Jesus can point to uh, obeying his commands because he's come to fulfill uh, the Old Testament. And when we think about the commands of Jesus, it's so helpful for us to think of those two great love commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. Especially in Matthew's gospel, there's lots of teaching about practical holiness. What does it look like day by day to live uh, for Jesus? But think about those two headings, love for God, love for neighbor. And we are teaching not just as information transfer, we're teaching to help people to obey So as disciples, we're not just, here's some information, we're also wanting to to model what following Jesus looks like. We want to be training people to understand, here's what faith looks like in a family or in a workplace or on social media, whatever it might be. Something we do in families with our children, we don't just pass on instruction, we look to to model and to train and correct and instruct and So we should do in the church as well. And then having given them this uh, command, Jesus also wonderfully reminds his disciples of his presence. Last words in this gospel from Jesus. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There was a great promise before Jesus was born. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Jesus would be Emmanuel, God who is with us. Jesus, just about to leave and return to heaven, says, I am God with you always. Comforting presence of Jesus. Remember, he's told them following him is hard. It's cross-carrying, but we don't do it alone. Jesus is with us by his Spirit as we continue his mission. And so we're reminded Uh, that part of being a disciple who makes disciples is to prayerfully depend on the Lord Jesus. Now, what I want us to do for the rest of our time is to think about what does discipleship look like. Uh, By way of summarising where we've been so far, uh, disciples see and acknowledge the lordship of Jesus, and we live and serve with loyalty to Jesus... And we live enjoying fellowship with Jesus. And we invite and encourage others towards those same realities. But now we need to think about what happens when, when the rubber hits the road. How do we do this, you know, both in, inside these four walls and outside? And perhaps as we sort of reflect a little further, maybe to answer some of those questions and, and fears, um, uncertainty that we sometimes have. Perhaps we still feel unsure of how to do it, where to begin perhaps. Maybe we think, well I have nothing to offer in this. I'm just a a regular person. Um, So what we have to finish is five ideas, uh, all beginning with the same letter, letter S, hopefully it can stick in our head. To help us realize that if we're a follower of Jesus, we are a disciple, and we're called to make and to grow other disciples, That's our responsibility as a church collectively. It's your responsibility and mine as an individual Christian. That's going to look very different for us all, because we all have different personalities, different opportunities, different responsibilities. But they're priority and reality for all of us who are trusting Jesus. First S. Discipleship looks like speaking God's truth if we are to be a disciple who is making other disciples, a disciple who is encouraging others to move closer to Jesus, we need to be speaking God's truth. Jesus said, teaching them to obey. Speak God's truth. That's why uh, in our church, uh, we seek always, and pray that we would always, be rooted in and centered on God's word of truth. Anything else just will not serve us well. That as a church, we want to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Because that's what the church has done ever since. You read the book of Acts. Jesus returns to heaven, sends the Spirit, and they're telling, here is Jesus, fulfillment of the Old Testament, crucified, died, buried, risen. Repent and believe. Uh, we centre our lives on the Bible because that's where we are instructed. How do we live godly lives? How do we live by faith until the return of Jesus? That's that's the goal every day. How do we do it? We find it in God's Word. So, as we speak God's truth, as a, thinking as a church, just now, uh, we have these formal teaching opportunities. So, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Chance to worship together, come under God's word together, meet in the presence of God together. Junior church, same thing. Our discipleship group that meet, that meet all during the week for different ages, stages and different communities. All of that is deliberately word based, Bible based, must always be so. But so far that's just thinking about people like me who, who stand up here and and talk to large crowds. But we need to speak God's truth in everyday life together as well. So let's think about what that can look like. And again, to encourage us that probably we're doing discipleship without necessarily thinking about it. When we chat after the service, will we talk about what we've been thinking about? Will we talk about what we've been reading about this week? Sometimes we find it really awkward to talk about faith naturally, but I think it's really helpful for us to get there. Because then when we've got people who aren't Christians, who may be interested, what difference does it make? They can hear it and they can see it. When we read the Bible and pray, as a family, we're doing discipleship. If you're part of a Christian book group, if you find yourself texting a Bible verse, talking about what it meant to you and wanting to share it with someone else. If you're out on a walk with someone and you begin sharing about uh, the big questions of God and, and faith. If you take the time to write a card to someone, uh, where, you cont- where it contains Bible truth, on all of those ways you are speaking God's truth and you are serving as a disciple and doing the work of discipleship. And just imagine for a difference. What, what for a moment, just what a difference it would make if, if in our families and our friendships and our Sundays, they were full of, saturated with the Word of God. If we read and discussed and studied and prayed and memorized what a difference it would make to our life to our life together. So discipleship looks like speaking God's truth uh, as we seek to live as disciples making disciples, we need the spirit of God. so the spirit is our second s because that's who we depend on must depend on in discipleship. thinking about the um, God's salvation. The Father is the one who sent the Son in love to the world. The Son is the one who came and accomplished the work of redemption in his death and resurrection. But then the Spirit, we need the Spirit because the, the Spirit is the one who applies that work to hearts and lives. It's the Spirit who gives the gift of, of new life. It's the Spirit who unites people to Jesus. It's the Spirit who transforms believers. It's the Spirit who speaks to us in the word that he inspired. And so... My point is, is simply this, that it's the Spirit that works through His Word. It's the Spirit that breathes new life. It's not us. Therefore, as much as we work, we must also be praying. If we are to be a church that makes disciples, we must be praying. I'm talking individually and collectively. To be a disciple You and I must be dependent on God and the Spirit of God. To make disciples, we need the Spirit to work. Going through habits and routines and busyness as a church will not make disciples. We need the Spirit to work and breathe new life. So we need to pray. let me encourage you to think about what difference that might make to your habits and patterns to realize, if I am sent as an ambassador of Jesus, how am I going to pray so that I can do that well? How am I going to pray for my church so that we're helped by the grace of God to do that well? So we need the Spirit of God. also, as we go about the business of discipleship, we do it as servants of God. So this in some ways is the, the flip side to what we just thought about. Uh, because it's through Christians that God works largely in the business of discipleship. Making disciples is absolutely God's work. But his means is through his people, through his church. And that should create a humble dignity in us, I think. You know, humble because we are servants. Jesus is Lord and Master. But there's dignity. God chooses to work in and through people like us. Thinking about this idea of of disciples, making disciples as servants, the vital principle, I think, is is from Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's the the saviour we follow, a servant saviour. And so we follow in that pattern. We we live as servants. And, And here again is where this cuts across culture, because a servant fundamentally is not and cannot be me-focused. A servant, by definition, must be others-focused. Now, do we see how that challenges our cultural views? Why do I go to church? Because it meets my need. No. We should be saying, I go to church because here's an opportunity for us together as the family of God. Here's the chance for me to invest in someone else by being in and participating in a local church or a discipleship group or whatever it might be. But the challenge and the danger for us as the church is that we so receive uh, the values of culture. We're thinking about what's in it for me and, and what I'm getting out of it that, that we can become more like shoppers than servants. And that's not the pattern of a disciple. And again, perhaps that's something that we need to, to stop and reflect on. So that we might constantly be, be pushing ourselves out of the comfort zone, which is which is rooted in self. Where we're not thinking about the church being about my needs and preferences. But, but how can I help? How can I serve? How can I encourage someone else when I'm here today in this building, when I meet uh, someone through the week? So we make disciples as servants of God. Again, connected to that and very basic. Discipleship takes commitment, so we need to fundamentally show up. Uh, Edinburgh is many things, uh, but it is most definitely a horrible place to travel around, isn't it? And everybody with 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 a car in this place or tries to use a bus in this place knows how horrible it is. So here's... What I'm talking about is simple encouragement. You see, when someone fights through the pain barrier uh, to get to church on a, on a Sunday or to make time to, to get to a community group uh, in the middle of the week, that's a wonderful gift of sacrifice for the sake of others. We can only serve people if we are ready to invest time and energy in them. We can't be disciples, making disciples, if we're not ready to sacrifice and commit to show up to be present in the lives of others. So again, very practically, think about your calendar. Think about your calendar this week. Is there room? Is there any margin in there? Or is built into the calendar room for disciple-making? In your calendar, is, is being with Christians a priority that's going to be reflected in in our use of time this week. How can we work into our natural rhythms of work and family the concept of making disciples, of encouraging others to keep following Jesus? Think about our conversations again after church. Absolutely talk about sport, but can we talk about the sermon as well? When we're talking about our families, can we be talking about our faith As well, can we use our our conversations to get to know someone new in our church so that we can uh, encourage them uh, to be growing in faith? Let me invite all of us to think about our connections. And and again, here's perhaps a a point of action. Who is even one person? And pray that God will, will bring someone into your mind. Who's one person you could commit to? I'm going to give time to to meet with this person, to encourage this person, to share life with this person. That could be someone in our family. could be a friend. could be as an older Christian, you you find a younger Christian to invest in. Pray. And then determine to to show up and commit uh, to that other person. Last thing to do with discipleship, last S, stick with it, because discipleship is a work of patience and perseverance. Uh, one of the, the models of uh, discipleship that we find in the Bible is the idea of a, a parent and a child. And what you find from a parent, it is a lifelong commitment to see a child flourish, to see a child mature, uh, to see a child grow in, in emotional health, to be established. And as parents, we know that we will commit to that. We would give anything for that for our kids. And that's a great picture of discipleship. That we would be committed for the long haul to helping one another to grow as mature Christians. Helping one another to take baby steps of obedience. Helping one another to wrestle against sin. To pursue wisdom in relationships. To grow in God's grace. And like kids who often stumble and fall and struggle and mess up, Christian family sticks together and sticks with one another for the long haul. So that together we might be presented fully mature in Christ. Imagine, just as we close, imagine the power and beauty of this kind of church, this kind of community where we're all really committed to the idea of discipleship. Not just, what am I getting out of this, but but what are we getting out of this? How are we growing together? Where we're opening our homes to, to share the gospel, where parents are shepherding children to follow Jesus, where older men and women are investing in younger men and women for the good of society and for the good of the church. Where God's word is so clearly, evidently central to our shared life, where we're depending on the prayer and the spirit to point others consistently to the Lord Jesus. Does that sound like the kind of church that we want to be part of? A church where we have a real sense of, of identity and a real sense of purpose and mission. Let's pray that we'd be that church, that we would gladly live under the lordship of Jesus, that we'd live with loyalty to Jesus, and that we'd live enjoying relationship with Jesus. And we'd be naturally joyfully helping one another to share that too. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you for the privilege of being followers of Jesus. Jesus. We thank you for the gift of faith that brings us into that new relationship, gives us a new identity, gives us a new purpose and calling for our life. Father, we confess that sometimes we struggle, sometimes uh, we don't know where to begin, sometimes it's not even something we think about. Sometimes we're so uh, caught up in the here and now, caught up in uh, our own Uh, struggles in our own stuff, that we don't think about uh, eternity. We don't think about uh, presenting people fully mature in Christ with an an eye on eternity. We don't think about sacrificing and serving for others. But Lord, we pray that you would draw us back to yourself, draw us into that vision of uh, discipleship that Jesus handed down to his disciples and to the church. Lord, make us faithful to Jesus. Make us obedient to his commands. Uh, Give us that ability to speak God's truth to others. Help us to prayerfully depend on the Spirit and in prayer. Lord, may we see you work in and through us as we look to work for you uh, in our shared life together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, we will shortly sing a section of Psalm 103. And uh, while we are uh, singing, uh, those who will share in the Lord's Supper, you can uh, come down to the front and and pick up. There's bread and wine at the front, which you can then take back to your seats and we'll we'll share uh, together. Um, As we think about who is the Lord's Supper for, think back to that, that definition of what is a disciple. The Lord's Supper is for forgiven sinners, uh, who are learning and following Christ in repentance and faith. Uh, friends, this is something that we need to give strength to our faith, to give us uh, grace to enjoy fellowship with Jesus as we meet together around his table. So we will stand together as our children come in. And can I encourage folks to, to come and get the, uh, the bread and the wine uh, as, as quickly as is practically possible. Um, great, let's stand uh, together. And let sing.